All right, friends, invite you to turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. Turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. Um, and before we do that, I'd like to, uh, to pray a little bit. We want to give a couple of announcements. I'm mean, sure many of you heard about uh, Theo James being born. Yeah. So uh, add another to their quiver. And so... Uh, they go, Rick and Kristen Knossen now go from, from uh, man to man to zone, right? So, so that's that once you go from two to three, it's, it's zone defense. And so, uh, so really great news uh, for them. And um, so you can be praying for him, though. He's back, they went back to the hospital. He had some jaundice issues, but now they're back home again, right, Janet? So it's like, okay. Um, so uh, praise for Rick and Kristen Knossen. And the healthy, safe birth of uh, Theo. And then also the other news from last week, as many of you have heard, you know, the terrorist attacks on Christian churches, like targeting churches in Sri Lanka on Easter Sunday. And uh, so just uh, prayers for the, the believers that, are, that remain and have to, to kind of move on and, and deal with life after that. But, um, but Christ assures us that we are going to, in this life, we are going to experience persecution. We're lucky here in the West that ours is more kind of um, more subtle. Uh, and it's nothing like what believers elsewhere experience. 301 day is a lot. Uh, but believers die every day, never even makes the news. And so, uh, so be lifting up the church of, uh, in all places. Uh, that is what we're called to and commanded to do, that we're to be praying for believers and churches uh, all over the world. And so um, so let's do that. And then if there are any other prayer requests um, that anybody would like us to be to be made aware of, um, we could pray for those this morning, too. Normally I give a heads up, but we don't. Yeah. Yes. And so, uh, yeah, so Missy is uh, working with uh, First, Byron Center. First Byron Center and Heritage, Heritage Christian Reformed Church. And they have an out, uh, outreach program, and uh, it's called Alpha, the Alpha Course. And they're, uh, um, are we still looking for volunteers? No, we're good. We're good because we, we were looking for volunteers to help serve the meals because it's part of that outreach program is there's a meal time, and then there's like a talk, and then the discussion time. And pray that uh, people are hearing about Jesus and the love that Christ has shown for us in suffering and dying for us. And so, uh, so be praying, uh, praying for, for that Alpha uh, ministry and that outreach. Yes. So they'd only been married about a year. Oh man! And so, what's what's uh, his name? And what's um, so sorry to hear, brother. And we'll be praying for. For you. Me too. I, didn't, I mean, I knew him pretty good, but most of the time I didn't know him. 
So we'll be praying for uh, Anisha. Where, does he, any kids? No, I thought he had a, a young kid when I prayed for him. I thought he had said something about having kids in June. Yes. Hmm. Any other prayer requests that we'd be made aware of? If not, let's uh, let's join together in prayer, shall we? So let's uh, let's pray to the Lord. Lord God, we want to uh, to pause now and recognize um, that you are present with us, that you hear our prayers, that our Savior Jesus is is seated at your right hand and interceding for us, that the Spirit intercedes for us with groans, um, and so God, we want to. Uh, we want to groan out to you this morning and um, to bring to you our, our concerns and our prayer requests. God, we want to um, thank you for the wonderful gift of life. We thank you for the safe delivery of Theo James into the world. We pray for Rick and Kristen um, as they are adjusting to life with a, another new child in the home. God, we ask your, your blessing upon that family. Uh, we pray that, um, that Henry and, and Lena welcome Theo and grow deeper in their relationship with their sibling. God, we pray that you, that you um, meet all of their needs according to your glorious riches in Christ. God, we want to pray for the believers who are suffering and experiencing persecution all over the world today and grateful that we can have um, that we can be reminded about what is happening or to be to know about what is happening uh, to believers all over the world in an instant's notice um, but uh, god we know that that is uh, kind of overwhelming to process that that dozens if not hundreds of believers are murdered every Weak, simply for being your followers. And God, we know that this does not surprise you, for you've warned us that, um, that we would expect to be hated because they hated you first. God, we pray for those who, um, the family members who remain, and we pray that their faith is um, solidified, that their resolve is firm to follow you even in the face of persecution. God, we pray that you guard their hearts against any hatred or retaliation, but to turn in love and in prayer for those who persecute them. And God, we too want to pray for those who are persecuting your church, which as you have said, is persecuting you. God, we ask that they would see the error of their ways, that we would be faithful in uh, our witness to you, that all believers everywhere would be faithful in um, their witness to you, that they would be able to um, correct those who are against them and give them the truth of the gospel, and that, God, that you would, uh, that you would grant them repentance, that they may come to a knowledge of the truth and salvation and through the forgiveness of their sins. God, we pray that you do that 
that mighty and incredible, miraculous work. God, we thank you for the the ways that we get to uh, outreach here and share the gospel here. And we want to pray for Missy and the other uh, volunteers um, and the other churches as they're presenting Christ as he appears in your gospel. And so, God, we pray for them. We pray that you would, by your spirit, convert them to you, draw them to you. They would place their faith in you. And God, we want to pray for um, for An- Anisha Hughes and the tragic, sad news um, about Jeff taking his own life this past week. And God, we we know that this will take a miracle of your comfort to comfort them. I don't know if Anisha knows you in a saving way, but God, I pray that she does. I pray that she experiences the the comfort that only you can give through Christ. God, we want to, uh, again, ask you to speak to us and open our eyes this morning as we turn to your word. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. And hands and feet that are quick to apply what it is that you call us to do. And we pray this by the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, we're um, in a series right now on uh, holiness. And we're talking about the, uh, the aspect of our salvation known as sanctification. And in the last couple of weeks, we talked about uh, the call that we have to put to death the deeds of the body or to put to death the sin nature. Where we saw the, the mortification uh, of sin. We looked at that a couple of weeks ago. And then the flip side of that was uh, the call that we have to bring to life righteous deeds in our life. And last week, we we saw how the resurrection of Jesus Christ is actual physical bodily resurrection from the tomb by the power of God serves as um, um, serves as motivation for us in living the righteous life or to putting uh, bringing uh, the old fashioned terms was the vivification to bringing our good deeds and our righteous deeds to life. So we looked at the reality of the resurrection of Christ and then the responsibility of our resurrection with Christ. And so we started in Colossians chapter three, verse five, with the passage on putting our to death, the the deeds of the body. And then we kind of worked backwards to chapter three, verses one through four last week on the resurrection. And uh, in reading that passage, I was um, I was struck by what the passage prior to that has to say about sanctification. And so, um, so I thought, well, this is a weird way to do it. <laughs> Normally, when you do expository preaching, you start at the beginning and go forward. It just so happens, I, I started in chapter 3, verse 5, and then I went back to chapter 3, verse 1, and I thought, it might be helpful for us to back up even more, and let's look at chapter 2, verses 16 through 23. And so that will be our scripture passage this morning. Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 to 23. Where Paul writes, Therefore, 
Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to its regulations? Quote, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, quote, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. This is the reading of God's word. So here is the main point for this morning. If you don't track with me through here to the end, here's the main point. Sanctification is not based on man-made rules. Notice Paul begins verse 16 with the therefore. He, it, Paul is brilliant at this. If you really get to digging into Paul's letters and, and actually pretty much any of the New Testament writers' uh, uh, writings and their letters, when they're addressing real practical life issues in the church, they always ground it to the gospel. Always are grounding it to the work that God has done of redemption through Christ. And the restoration that we have in Christ and the Holy Spirit. So you don't want to miss, as you're studying passages like this, when you see a therefore, like you've heard me say many times, and I heard it in seminary, when you see the therefore, you always ask, well, what's the there, therefore? What's the therefore, therefore? Therefore, he says, and he's going to warn them about man-made rules of sanctification. But he wants to ground it in something else. Look at what he says. He's grounding it in verses, what we see in verses 6 through um, six through 15. Which, by the way, also begins with a therefore. If we keep doing this, I'd have to go back to the beginning of the letter. Paul, uh, you know. So um, we, we won't have time for that today. But, but look at what he's referencing. And the therefore, verse 16, is what he's talking about. Are being alive in Christ in verses 6 through 15. Therefore, as you've received Christ as Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Okay, here's the, the deity of Christ, the full deity of Christ here. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority in him. Also, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. This should sound familiar. Paul revisits this at the passage we saw in chapter three. Who raised him from the dead and you 
who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Notice the in him or the in Christ or the in hymns in Christ. And let me just kind of go through here. Verse seven, when you trusted in Christ, you were rooted and built up in him. The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily in him. We have been filled in him. You were circumcised. This is kind of so to speak here in him. Verse 11. You have been buried with him in baptism. You have been raised with him through faith. We are made alive, made us alive in him. He's forgiven our sets, sins in him. In him, God enables us to triumph over demon authorities. Okay? So that therefore, verse 16, it's just helpful for us to kind of get our eyes back and look on all of the work of the gospel of Christ to understand what the therefore is there for, right? So every single aspect of the gospel in Christ should be in mind with all of the blessings that we obtain through being united by faith in uh, faith, united to Christ by faith in him. Those all must be in our mind and dwelling in there in order for us to do what Paul is going to encourage us to do in the next passage. And that is to avoid mystical, legalistic asceticism. Okay, so I threw some big words at you. Avoid mystical, legalistic asceticism. He's warning of the dangers of these kinds of things in light of the fact of the gospel. Okay, so I want to unpack a little bit of those, but before we do, let me... um, let me kind of explain a little bit, or let's get us to, to think about here who he's dealing with. Paul has some sort of opponents here that, uh, that are doing something in the church at Colossae. He doesn't name them. The commentators who write on these the commentaries of Colossians, they're, boy, it's a fun thing for them to try and theorize and talk about who it is that these people are throughout history. We, the fact is, we don't really know, but we have some, some ideas of, who they are and what they do here. Uh, First, we want to ask the question, who they are and what are they doing? Who they are, who is or are these person or persons doing this thing? Well, here's what I call them. Religious bullies. Okay? Religious bullies. Notice all the no ones, right? Verse 16. Let no one pass judgment on you. He has in mind a particular person or persons and what they're doing to them. They're passing judgment on them. Verse 18, he says, let no one, religious bullies, disqualify you, he says. It's also in the previous section, too, verses 4 and 8. Notice verse 4, he says of chapter 2, I say this in order that no one may delude you. He's very concerned about these religious bullies in the church at Colossae. Again, verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive By philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition. So I'd say that they're religious bullies. Paul says, be on your your guard against these religious bullies. Okay, so that's who they are. 
Okay, point to you to in history what kind of group or names of people, but we do know from the context here, we're talking about religious bullies. What are these religious bullies trying to do? They are, okay, ready? They are trying to do sanctification from their perspective and on their terms. They are trying to do sanctification in other people from their perspective and on their terms. So it's a, a man-made system of sanctification. And it has these different aspects to it. And then, so let's unpack these. There's kind of a mystical aspect to it. Notice verse 18. Insisting on, these are some of the things they're doing. They want to disqualify you insisting on worship of angels. Going on in detail about visions. Puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind. Again, don't know exactly what he's talking about here, but this probably in, includes things like visions or dreams or angelic communications or some sort of communication apart from the revealed will of God. Very mystical. He would say, this is one of the things that they would say would be required of you. you know, we have some, uh, some groups or some Christian groups uh, that sometimes will make requirements of some sort of second blessing of the Holy Spirit. Like you would receive the Holy Spirit when you place your faith in Christ. But there's some groups who will say, that's great, but you need to have a second blessing of the Holy Spirit. The scriptures nowhere teach anything like that. That would kind of even fall into this kind of mystical group. Okay. So this, there's this mystical group that's using this kind of mysticism. You need to kind of worship angels and have these other kind of angelic communications. Those things need to be happening, and it has to happen. We're insisting on it. Okay, That's a religious bully. So mystical, legalistic, would be the second one. And I'm going to put human traditionalism here. Okay, Human traditionalism. Notice verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. So some commentators think this is obviously has some sort of kind of Jewish laws are still binding kind of thing going on here. So the so and, and I would say more possibly it's it's human traditionalism that kind of is derived from Old Testament laws. Okay? Now, this is not saying, what Paul's not saying is here, don't follow all te the Old Testament moral teaching at all. we got plenty of examples where he says that we are. I think what Paul's referring here to the, what this group is doing, he's talking about man-made traditions. Notice verse 22. According to human precepts and teachings. Okay. Now it's an important distinction needs to be made here because the Bible does get some do nots. The Bible does give us rules. Paul's not abolishing all rules. We'll get to that here in a moment. He's just concerned about these man-made ones. Jesus himself was very much against man-centered precepts that go beyond God's revelation. Let me give you an example. If you would, turn, turn to Mark chapter 7. 
Mark's Gospel, chapter 7. Mark's Gospel is, is very short. It's the shortest of all of the Gospels. Mark is also in a hurry. He, he, if you read Mark, you notice it like he says, and immediately, and immediately, and immediately. It's like, it's kind of uh, hilarious when you, once you notice it. Um, like me saying, as well, too. It's really funny. Once, you know, and then you see, and then you notice it all the time. Um, but, but Mark gives a, a great attention. He, he's normally his stories are very short, very concise, very compact. He spends a long time talking about this episode with Jesus. It's longer, I think, than Matthew's version of it. Notice verse seven, or excuse me, Mark chapter seven, verse one. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him, that is to Jesus, with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples gasp, ate with hands that were defiled, that is unwashed. Notice he adds this parenthetical statement. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, holding to the, underline this word, the tradition of the elders. And when they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, asked Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the, underline it, tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written? This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. He basically reiterates the last line from Isaiah there. This is your problem. You actually think you're you're holding to the commandments of God. You're actually leaving those behind and you're doing so in favor of these traditions of men. Verse 9. He, he kind of gets to some one example of something that they would do. He said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, so now Jesus is going to give him a commandment, right? Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And he says, whoever reviles his father and his mother must surely die. But you guys say, if a man tells his father and mother, whatever would have gained, whatever you have gained from me is Corbin. And then Mark translates for us that word that is given to God. It means a gift donated or dedicated to God. Then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. OK, so notice what he's saying here is you religious guys, you had kind of made these rules human rules to actually uh, usurp biblical commandments. As a matter of fact, he goes, you have said to you know, your little flock of followers, you said, hey, if you have committed giving a certain amount of money to God, to Korban, you know, to give a gift to God, you use that as an excuse to not help your parents. Jesus says, You've got it backwards here. The commandment is honor your father and mother. And you have the money. Don't say to your parents, 
to your parents, I, I can't give to you. I'm going to keep this Corbin because they actually were benefiting from this kind of maneuver. This is pretty cutting here, what Jesus is getting at. Pretty harsh. And then notice what he says in verse 13. Thus making void the word of God by your tradition. That you have handed down. And many such things you do. Because you guys, I could go on and on and on about how you have created human commandments that usurp God's commandments. Jesus was very critical of this. He goes on. And he called the people to him and, and uh, again and said to them, hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that is going into him that can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And he goes on. So Jesus has some very harsh things to say about human traditionalism that usurps scripture and God's commands. Okay. So human tradition is mystical, legalistic, and then we'll say asceticism. Okay. Asceticism. Now that, let me say that word again. It's like, how many of you use the word asceticism in daily life? Right. You know, I do, I do it every day. Right. (laughs) Steve does. (laughs) So let me give you the dictionary definition of the English term. Severe self-discipline, avoidance of all forms of indulgence, typically for religious reasons. Okay, The avoidance, self-discipline, avoidance of all kinds of indulgences or or pleasures. The Greek word here actually just means humility. It's the word humility. And in some contexts, it's a good thing. Paul Paul talks about urging believers to walk with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. It's the exact same word he uses there. Paul in in Philippians will say, do nothing out of selfish ambition or or conceit, but in humility, same word, count yourselves others as more significant than yourselves, right? Peter says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. Same word that Paul is using here. And even later in this passage, Paul goes on and he tells them what they should put on. Remember, you're to take off the, or what is earthly in you, put those to death, and you're to put on uh, some things. One of the things he says to put on in chapter 3, verse 12, is as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility. It's the same word. But Paul here is not referring to just general humility. He's using this... Um, as a humility, self-depriving, avoiding all self-indulgence that's imposed upon you from an external source, from an ungodly, from an ungodly, in an ungodly way. Notice the, the principle here in verses 21 and 22. It gives an example of the type of things, what this humility is Uh, This asceticism is about do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used. And we know it's a severe kind of thing that's even like depriving of the body. Because in verse 23, he goes, uh, he mentioned severity of the body, right? Okay, so this is a humility that is wrongly derived. It comes from man. It doesn't come from God. And it's a humility that is wrongly directed. By that I mean, it's, it actually promotes self-made religion. 
That's what he says in verse 23. These have indeed, these types of activities, do not taste, do not touch, do not handle, do not, do not, do not, do not, do not. These indeed have the appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion. So it's, it's wrongly derived and it's wrongly directed. That's what Paul is against here. So what's wrong with this kind of form of asceticism? What's wrong with this form of legalism? What's wrong with these things? Well, first, um, they were required. Um, they were, these people, these religious bullies, were requiring them to abstain from things that God actually blesses and says are good things. That God gives us good things that we are to enjoy when we enjoy them according to his standards. Paul elsewhere talks about uh, similar kinds of teachings that are going around. He's talking about these um, those who kind of depart from the faith. They're devoting themselves to de the, te the, the deceptive spirits and the teaching of demons. And through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Get this. Who forbid marriage. And require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything God cre created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. Right? So here he's dealing with the same other group of people and they're saying you can't, you can't be, get married. Paul calls those, those people, their consciences are seared. So what's wrong with this form of legalistic, mystical asceticism? One, it's condemning things that God actually says are good in proper context. That's one. The second one is, what's wrong with this asceticism? It doesn't work. I wanted to clap there and I kind of chickened out. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Verse 23. That's how Paul ends the whole thing. They are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. It doesn't work because it doesn't come from God. It doesn't work because... Uh, it doesn't come from the spirit of God working with the word of God to bear fruit in your life and to bear genuine righteous deeds. These are externally imposed. False humility. It does not come from a growth that comes from God, as he says in verse 17. So these religious bullies, this is their their problem. This is what their ultimate problem is here. Verse 19. They, these guys, and, and all of the ones who would follow along with them, are not holding fast to the head. This is a term for Christ. They're not holding fast to Christ, from whom the whole body, that is, the church and all Christians, nourished and to, knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. How? Holding fast to the source, and that is Christ. So I'll put it this way. Don't be persuaded in uh, by men into man-centered ideas of what holy living is. That's what Paul's worry and concern here. Okay? 
might have the appearance of godliness, it is denying its power. Okay? And I would put it this way in verse 17. Paul says, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So the shadow of sanctification would be man-centered, man-derived rules. The substance of sanctification are Christ and his rules. Or to put it this way, um, or put it this way, don't be persuaded by men into man-centered ideas of what holy living is, but be fully convinced to follow Christ's ideas of what holy living is. Now, I want to be very clear what we mean by that and what we do not mean by that. What I do not mean is that there are no rules to guide your life. Um, I have seen before, maybe you've seen this in the past, when you have had to confront a believer about something that uh, is inappropriate or some sin or something in their life. Um, I have heard, and maybe you have too, uh, a retort that goes along the lines of, that's legalistic. That's pharisaical. Because they think that any kind of rule would be legalism. That's not legalism. That's the opposite error. It's called antinomianism. I mean, nom, the namas there means law. It means anti-law. I have no rules. I have no boundaries. I'm not going uh, to follow anything. You need to make a, a clear distinction that this is not a rejection of any rule. This is a rejection of man-made, man-centered rules. Failure to make this key distinction between man-made rules, which are not derived from Christ... And Christ's rules derive from Scripture. So we need to be fully, we need to be persuaded, uh, don't not to be persuaded by men into man-centered ideas of what holy living, but to be fully convinced to follow Christ's ideas of what holy living is. And what does that look like in practice? You ever thought of that? Like, Try to discern the difference between a man-made rule and, and an actual biblical Christ, uh, Christ-derived rule. Dan and I had fun with that this last week for each other, pointing out each other's. You know, so, no, no. Janet uh, comes from, as you as you know, from uh, like an Amish background. Like her her dad's side of the family is Amish, and so it was just fascinating to to for her to list off the man-made rules that they have that that get clouded together with Christian ideas. They think it just kind of is, this is a biblical rule. Like, and what were some of them? I didn't write them down. Uh, well, the men always have to keep their heads covered when they're outside. Men, men's heads covered outside. Uh, the women can only fasten their dresses with pins. Women can only fasten their dresses with pins. And men can use buttons. Men can use buttons, which Janet is thinks is really inequitable. and so these are a long list of human rules that were kind of presented as this is sanctification right and uh none of which for a lot of those examples are things that you can find in the bible many of you uh, might have some other ideas uh, in mind for janet going wearing dresses to church 
that was a big thing for Janet growing up. That was something that she's, like, I'm trying to figure out, is that a man-made rule? Is that in the Bible somewhere? Um, playing cards games, playing sports, playing, playing sports on the weekend or playing sports on a Sunday. For, for me, I remember kind of the first encounter with these kinds of things would be like um, at my Christian college I went to, it was dancing. Like dancing was, was really evil. I th- I'd heard somewhere, you know, that there's some churches that will believe that sex leads to dancing. You know, that that's how bad dancing is, right? Amen. <laughs> that's how bad dancing is, right? And so, um, but you've got to, and, and again, we need to make a distinction between an activity and the sinful appropriation of an activity. For example, like playing cards. Is that a sinful activity? I know there's some people who said that is. Um, but playing cards and gambling and greed, that's, that's something else. Or like enjoying food is a good thing, right? Gluttony is something the Bible uh, warns against. Drinking and drunkenness. Again, big differences there. Dancing, and, which is vastly different than sexual immorality. Earning and saving money. Good thing. God's gifts. Covetousness. Distortion. Of those gifts, right? And so I started to think about some of these things. For, for, for me in college, it was, it was dancing. That was a big debate, big thing in college. And at my particular college, it was, it was watching R-rated movies. It was watching R-rated movies, okay? Um, there, and so that became kind of an interesting discussion. Like, well, what are we, are, is that a man-made rule? Is that a rule that's derived from man? Now we're trusting a small committee of people who aren't Christians from the Motion Picture Association of America determining what's legitimate content that we can watch, right? And we're making a hard and fast rules. I'm not going to watch an R-rated movie. You don't realize the fact that those those standards have have shifted and adjusted in what would have been uh, considered something content only for an R-rated movie is actually probably totally fine in a PG-13 movie, right? So you, you can't... Rely on just the man-made rules. However, that doesn't mean there's no rules. There's Christ's rules. There's a big difference between saying flat-out statement, I'm not going to watch R-rated movies, and saying, I'm not going to view movies or shows that have inappropriate content. For instance. Um, I've heard, and let me give this as by way of an illustration, I've heard... Um, for several years now, I've seen a lot of hype on social media about a particular show. And uh, so a lot of people I follow watch this show. I've largely just ignored it. I'm like, I don't care. I, I'm not even interested in going to, to find anything out about it. Um, but recently I've kind of found out a little bit more about it as this show is now getting into its last season. And I won't tell you what the name of the show is, but it has something to do with games and thrones. <laughs> And so I thought, okay, so I, I did some research on this, on this topic, right? And I came to found out that there's, um, and I think I've heard some of these things, but like nudity, graphic nudity, graphic sex scenes, lesbian sex scenes, multi-person sex scenes, violent sex scenes, 
rape scenes, which I, which I have heard, because again, I haven't not seen one snippet of this, which I've heard has happened more than once. And the question is, should Christians be watching that stuff? Or is that just kind of man-made rules? I'll say this. You should not be watching that stuff. And that's not a man-made rule. That's not from me. That's Christ's rules. This is not legalism. To take the words of Christ and saying, I'm going to apply those to my life. Christ said, you have heard that it was said you should not commit adultery. I say to you, if anyone looks at a woman with lustful intent, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. When you're watching the act that's depicting lustful intent, you're engaging in that thing that Christ says not to do. And he continu- continues, if you're, this is how serious it is. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of the members of your body than for the whole body to be thrown into hell. That's not legalism. That's not legalism. So that's our task, right, as Christians. That's what we have to weigh out. The difference between a human, man-centered, man-derived rule that's, uh, that's wrongly directed and wrongly derived. Christ was very much against those things. But then he turns around and says, hey, and you, there's things you have to put to death. And you should put these to death because you shouldn't be going back to the life that you've died from. If you've lived in rebellion against God and you have lived a life of sin and the God has, by the Holy Spirit, brought conviction to your life of your sin and showed you the good news that salvation from those can be received in Christ, that he suffered and died in your place so that forgiveness can be granted to you and so that you can be purified from those things in the future. And you said yes to Jesus. And you've gotten baptized with Jesus, identifying with his death, and have come out of uh, up out risen with him to new life how can you go back to doing those things again that's paul's main argument through the whole thing distinguish between a man-made rule yes but you need to crucify those aspects of who you are that's not legalism that's following christ that's called discipleship so here's a couple of uh, things for us to keep in mind one Avoid man-made, man-derived rules of what sanctification is. Okay? Two, avoid the other extreme of thinking there are no rules. Three, instead discern the difference between man's rules and Christ's rules. Be in the word. Know what Jesus calls and commands for us. Let the spirit of God work with the word of God in your life to bear the fruit, to put to death the deeds that need to be put to death and to bring to life the righteous deeds that a new life in Christ requires. And lastly, follow Christ's rules. Remember, we're to follow the substance of our sanctification, not the shadow, not the shadow. We're to cling to the head 
which is Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's let's pray. Father God. We're so grateful to you, God, for your word. We thank you for the words of Paul to the Colossians and which, as we've seen, are directly words directly to us. Help us to be on our guard against man-made rules, but to um, to be fully convinced in our minds to be following following what Christ would have us to 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 think, to say, to act, to do, and to see. God, we thank you for the words of Jesus. And we ask, God, that you, by your spirit, would apply these things to our hearts and to our minds. So that as we sang, may all my days bring glory to your name. And it is in the name of your son, Jesus, that we pray. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Would you stand for uh, closing benediction, brothers and sisters? Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you as you go. Amen.